It is so good to be with you. It is so good to not be quarantining and sick and whatever else people have been, you know, and to just be here together. You clap. Why don't you clap? We can socially distance clap, can't we? I guess we have to do everything that way. So anyway, it's so good to be with you. We're going to jump right in to James chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, um, why don't you go ahead and turn there with me. And I want to begin by sharing with you a story. It's a real story about an experience I had two years ago, and it was incredible. It was very powerful to me. So I have an acquaintance friend in my life who a couple years ago said to me, would you be interested in going to my Alcoholics Anonymous meeting with me? I said, absolutely. He said, I'm allowed to bring guests. And he said to me, um, I think as a pastor, it would be really good for you to see what we do. And I said, fantastic. He said, we have to leave at six in the morning. I said, I'm a morning person, that'll work for me. So he came and he picked me up and we went to his meeting and I was kind of surprised because there were about 50 people in this huge room. This is not four or five people, this was 50 people. And uh, he wanted to introduce me to some of his friends and it was just so awesome to me because I'd meet, I'd meet these individuals and they would virtually always tell me how long they had been sober. Been sober for 15 years. I said, congratulations. Been sober for 32 years. I said, that is amazing. And one guy said, I have been sober for 42 years. And I still come to this every day. And I was just so blown away and impressed. And I think as the meeting went on... <laughs> It was so incredible to hear, because it was like testimony time to a large degree. They had a little lesson too, but it was kind of like testimony time and people were just sharing their stories and it made me cry because some of these people were on death's door, as you can imagine. One of the things they did though that was maybe the most memorable is they talked through the 12 steps. They recite the 12 steps is what they do. And it was the first one that grabbed me. Here's step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We admitted that we were powerless. I have thought quite a bit about that phrase. Because whether you consider yourself an addict or not, whether you consider yourself uh, a person who really, really struggles with sin in your life and maybe very specific sins, and I would guarantee that would be all of us, we admitted we are powerless. I think that thought is incredibly biblical, isn't it? I think it's very, very biblical. We are powerless. And so as we jump into chapter four, and as Kondo has said numerous times, he's right. The thing that's so incredible about James is he just kind of goes for the jugular. He does. I mean, no small talk, no, hey guys, how's it going, that kind of thing. He just goes, boom, and this passage is as much as any other in his book that he's just really straightforward. 
and really blunt. And he's going to remind us that we are powerless. But praise God, there is hope. There is hope. Okay, so I'm going to start in verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Boom. (laughs) Wow. I think James sounds kind of like a parent here, you know, doesn't he? Hey, why are you kids fighting again? You know, some of you that have little kids, God bless you. God bless you. There's some real good things about being an empty nester. I'm just saying, there really is. I love my grandkids. I love to hand them back, as we all like to say. But, you know, those of you with younger kids, how much of your day can be spent trying to end arguments, address harsh verbal disagreements, and just try to lower the noise, the emotion, and the drama in your own household? What is the cause of quarrels and battles among you, James says? But you know what? That doesn't mean you're a bad parent. That just means you have kids that are sinners. Sorry, newsflash, huh? Because their parents are too. We are too. What is the source of the quarrels and the battles among you? It is your own selfish desires. That's his point. Now, many of us know that, and those of you that have studied theology know we, of the doctrine of total depravity, and you know, volumes have been written on all of this, that we inherited the, Ad- the sin of Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Some of you know all of those things, and that's great, but it's just really very real. It's really very daily in all of our, our lives. So here's, you know, as I read these verses, here's kind of where I feel most challenged. These fights and these battles mean that I need to own my own stuff. (laughs) I need to own it. I need to own up to the fact that often the battles and the fights and the arguments and the war and the, the stubbornness that can be so common in my heart and sometimes expressed through my behavior and my words, it's my issue. It's my issue. So I I got four insights I'm going to share with you out of this passage. Let me just share my first one, and that is it refers to the cause of our battles, and it is our selfish desires. Our selfish desires. We need to own our own stuff. We need to quit blaming. We need to quit pointing fingers. We need to quit making excuses. And yet that is so much our nature, isn't it? When was the last time, moms and dads, you kind of blew up with your kids? And you said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Parents say that? 
you know, one of the, yeah, they should. We should. One of the one of the things I sometimes I talk to my friends, you know, people my age or or even you know quite a bit younger than me, and sometimes I'll say, "Hey, did this ever happen in your home?" And usually I have to know the people pretty well because it sounds like I'm getting pretty personal there. But, you know, do you re- ever remember your father saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me? You know what sometimes I get? Are you serious? My dad? Who? How about if you asked the spouse of a couple who'd been married for 15 years? Does he ever say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me? No, he sometimes will go buy me something. Hey, I'll take it, right? You'll take it. But that is not the same as saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We choke on those words. We can, I can. And I've thought about, why is that so hard for And it is hard for me. I mean, I even know biblically I'm supposed to say, please forgive me, not just, hey, sorry, sorry. You know, that's pretty lame. Or the famous, if I have offended you, oh, super sensitive one. That is not the same as, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was wrong. That's a lot different. I think woven into the fabric of our hearts is pride, amen? We're just so prideful. And to be able to admit we were wrong, we know we're wrong often. We know it. Why don't we own it? Let's own our stuff, okay? Man, am I preaching to myself, really. I am preaching to myself. But we need to own our own stuff. And we need to ask forgiveness. And we need to humble ourselves. Because you and I, my friends, need to recognize that we are powerless with this sin nature thing we got. With these sinful desires that you and I have to live with until we get to see Jesus face to face someday. We are powerless. In fact, it's so interesting He goes on in the last part of verse 2. He goes, well, pray. I've been praying about this, but my prayers aren't being answered. Did you see that in verse 3? Why not? Because your prayers are selfish. Your prayers are self-centered. You know, it sounds so so godly and, and, and pious for us to say, well, I've really been praying about this. And what are you praying? And what am I praying Are we praying for God's glory? Are we praying for his will? Are we praying for his purpose? Or is this prayer so rooted in selfishness? Now that's a tough one. Weighing your prayer motives, that's tough. That is tough for me. That is probably tough for all of us. But that's what James is telling us. You're praying, hey, awesome, you should be, but you know why you don't get what you're asking for? Because it's not what God wants for you because he loves you, you're his child. It's not what God wants for you. Have you sought his heart? Have you sought his mind? Have you looked into his word and see what he wants you to pray for? That's a lot harder. That's a challenge. 
because these selfish desires, my brothers and sisters, just kind of permeate everything, don't they? That's why this journey is so hard. We have this battle within. And James is just really kind of being blunt and crystal clear with us that the cause of our our battles with others is because of this battle that rages in us. I love the words of of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.17. Here's what he says. Here's what he wrote. He said, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, in us, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. (laughs) Yes. The internal raging battle of our own selfish desires. It's so difficult. So at this point, at least for me, I want to say to James, okay, major point, I am powerless against my own selfish, sinful desires, and sometimes my sin turns to anger and fighting and battles. I get it. You're right. Busted. Admit it. I admit it. You admit it. I'm sure. So he goes on. You know, it's like, okay, James, can we get a little nicer here? And then he, and then he pulls out verse 4. Did you see verse 4? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity? That means battling, fighting enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What? You're either a friend of God or an enemy of his? Friendship with the world. I don't want to be an enemy with God. So what in the world does he mean by friendship with the world? What's he talking about? In this context, it's a person in a headfirst, unbridled, full speed ahead, uncontrollable passion to fulfill their selfish desires. Did you get that? (laughs) Nothing super profound about that. It just means I'm all about fulfilling my selfish desires. I mean, yeah, that's the battle. That's what rages in me, and I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I have the right. I'm free. I can go for it. You know, it's kind of how this this stuff is so justified. And James would say, you do that, you are a friend of the world, and that puts you at odds, in fact, enemy status with God. It's like, oh my goodness, really? Man, talk about feeling helpless. Talk about feeling powerless. Where's the hope? You know, that's what I'd say right now with James if I didn't know the next couple verses. Where's the hope? James, give me some encouragement here, okay? This sounds so defeatist to me, so incredibly challenging. He goes, oh, I got some hope for you. I got some hope. Look at verse 5. He says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I love this. The causes are selfish desires. 
The cure is the indwelling Holy Spirit and the abundant grace of God, my friends. That's the cure. That's the cure. I love the way James wrote verse 5. Spirit here clearly is referring to the Holy Spirit. Do you not think Scripture says without reason that he, the Father, jealously longs for this Holy Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Why does he say that here? You know why? Because that's our only hope. Because he's our only hope. God's indwelling spirit in our lives. Because this raging, selfish desire that you and I deal with every moment of every day in this life renders us powerless. And he's given us his spirit. Amen. That is so beautiful. That is so encouraging. That is so helpful to know that he gives us his spirit. The spirit who can do so many beautiful things in our lives. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for a moment about the word jealous or jealously. Isn't that awesome? You know, we often think of the word jealous in a negative way. There are numerous times in the Old Testament that God says, I am a jealous God. Why? Because when his beloved beloved. Israel in the Old Testament or his church turned their back on him, it breaks his heart. It grieves his heart. That's the point. And the jealousy is you are mine. I want you to flourish. I want this relationship with you. You are mine, he says. Do you know that the first of the command of the Ten Commandments tell us God's a jealous God? Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. That sound like jealousy? You see, that's why he called them in verse four, adulteresses. You read the Old Testament. You don't have to go too far in the Old Testament to, to not see over and over and over again the idolatry of the nation of Israel, right? And God calls idolatry Spiritual adultery. That's what it is. Because they sought after other gods and not the true God. And God is jealous for his people. That's the point. And I I love the, the idea of jealousy here because he's basically saying, God's given you his spirit. Are you tapping into the power of the Spirit? Are you crying out to the Spirit? Are you utilizing what the Spirit wants to provide for you in your life as you struggle with these selfish, sinful desires? One of my favorite verses, Galatians 5.16, but walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. And when I read the word walk, when I think of this, this beautiful analogy or metaphor picture of walking, it's like moment by moment. It's daily. It's being with. Are you conscious of the Spirit of God? Conscious of his prompting? Conscious of how he convicts you? Are you conscious of the fact that you can cry out for wisdom to him? That you can ask him to give you a sense of peace and calm? In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, we can pray for uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Do you pray for his joy? Do you pray for his peace? Do you pray for his self-control in your life? 
That's how we are to be manifesting our lives. Can you do it by yourself? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we have the power of his spirit. That is so incredible. And yet, how many times do we go days, maybe weeks, without talking to the spirit, crying out to the spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Holy Spirit, I have a super important meeting today. I want to say the things you want me to say, or I have to sit down with somebody and confront them about something really hard. I want my words to be your words instead of just being all stressed about it. Did you see what else he gives? Verse 6, abundant grace. It's like, it's like the, double, the double gift. I love this. He gives us his indwelling spirit. And oh, by the way, he pours out his grace into our lives. His grace. We blow it. He's gracious. We mess up big time. He still loves us. He pours out his grace, my friends. That's why I'm calling the Holy Spirit and his grace the cure. The cure is not sucking it up. The cure is not self-discipline. The cure is not learning to, at least on the outside, make my behavior look godly. The cure is we need his Holy Spirit. We need the word of God, and we need his grace to be poured out into our lives. Are you and I conscious of that? Are you and I sensitive to that? You know, a lot of Christians, without being, sounding harsh, I don't want to, but a lot of Christians, I can be very guilty of this, is, is having a, Lord, I'll call you when I need you approach to our lives. Holy Spirit, I'll let you know if something is really hard. I think I got something tough two weeks from Thursday. So I'll talk to you then, okay? It's like, really? Do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. You know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. It says, walk by the Spirit. Walk daily, moment by moment. We need his help because we have this battle that rages within us, my friends, that renders us powerless. That's what James is telling us. Okay, I got to keep moving here. So the cure causes our selfish desires. The cure is the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Now, here's what's so fascinating to me as we look at, as we continue and we, we pick up in verse 7. Okay, just because we have the Holy Spirit, fantastic, and God's grace, wonderful, incredible, doesn't mean we're automatically godly people. <laughs> There's these things called commands. Obedience to the commands of Scripture. In fact, look at verse 7 with me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Four verses, ten commands. There are ten commands 
in these four verses. You can count them. I counted them. Counted them a couple times to make sure there are 10 commands. None of them are like, have a good day. Put a smile on. I mean, that's, that sounds really sweet to say that to your kids or whatever. No, did you see these? Submit, resist, come near, wash, purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change, humble yourselves. Wow. Wow. These are commands. That doesn't sound like fun. Dealing with our sin, repenting, being broken before God, my friends, is not fun if we take it seriously. It is not fun. It is not pleasant. When I read these verses and studied these verses again recently, it's like, I am not serious enough about the sin in my life. It's like, Bam! I felt like I got a major face smack from God. This is how you're supposed to think about your sin, Jeff. Whoa. Broken? Wail? Grieve? Mourn? Do we forget sometimes that he is a holy, holy, holy God? Do we forget sometimes that sin is deeply offensive to him? Do we forget sometimes that he is so abhorred by sin that he sent his son to die on the cross for it? I read these, I read these commands and it's like, wow. You talk about serious business dealing with sin in your life, my friends. And you and I can say, but I'm powerless. We are. Are you a believer? You have the Holy Spirit. You have the grace of God. You have the word of God. Those are the weapons of our warfare for the battle within. Man, 10 commands in these four verses about how serious, serious you and I need to be about sin in our lives about these selfish desires that we don't deal with. So my third key insight are obedience to commands, obedience to the commands of God for the broken and the needy. Okay, so this, this passage, <laughs> which has done a number on me, <laughs> it has, this passage up until verse 11 throw one to, one to 10, is very much kind of like what I would call taking a look in the mirror verses. It's a lot about me, understanding my powerlessness, my struggle, my need, because of my selfish, sinful desires, realizing that God's given me a spirit, he's given me his grace, he's given me his word. Understanding, though, that I need to walk in obedience. I need to obey. I need to be quick to be broken before God when I sin. I need to ask his forgiveness. I need to ask for cleansing. I need to confess my sin. These are things you and I need to do. But what he does in verses 11 and 12 is he makes a shift and he says, I want you to know how when you and I don't deal with these things, how we treat one another. 
how we treat one another. Look at verse 11 with me. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let me tell you what I think this verse is saying. <laughs> I need to own my own stuff. I need to work on me. Any of you have a mom that said that to you? Oh, my mom said that a lot. Work on yourself. That's pretty brilliant theology, I think. Work on yourself. Own your own stuff. Work on yourself. That, that's, that's essentially what he's saying here. He's saying... Don't judge your brothers and sisters. Don't gossip about your brothers and sisters. You know what we are? Here's what we are. We're, we're, we're a number of things, but one thing that we are is we are fellow strugglers. Amen? That's what we are. We're on this journey called life, and we mess up a lot. God has given us his Holy Spirit. God has given us his grace. God has given us his word. God has given us one another called the church family. It's so good to be with you today, by the way. But we mess up a lot. It is so easy to point the finger. And, and, and what James is saying here, oh no, no finger pointing, no finger pointing, no judgment, no gossip about each other, nope. Here's how Jesus said it. I love it. You want to do eye surgery with the speck in your brother's eye? Check out the log in your eye first. Enough said, right? All right then, Lord. I got a lot of personal work to do. I really believe that's this point. So here's my fourth insight, and that is have compassion for one another. Have compassion for one another. We're all on this journey. We all mess up. Aren't you glad for people in your life who extend grace to you? Don't you just, don't take advantage of it. It's too easy when you know people love you unconditionally and people are going to just continue to love you to take advantage of it? Uh-uh. Let's not do that. As James is talking about the law here, many believe, commentators, I absolutely think they're right, believe that he's referring back to a verse in James 2, verse 8. This is such a beautiful verse. He says, If you really keep the royal law, the royal law, the king of all laws. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Then you're doing right. As a fellow struggler who deals daily with this incredible sinful selfish nature that I have, that you have too, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we need to be doing. 
I hope today's a reminder, it has been to me, that I need to own my stuff because I am powerless. Without the Spirit of God and the grace of God and the Word of God. But as I engage, as I listen to, as I submit to God's Spirit, His Word, and pray for His grace, I can do better and better on this journey. And so can you. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your incredible word. Oh, it's so challenging and it's so convicting, but it's so true and right. And uh, not only makes us feel powerless, but it also helps us to feel hopeful, hopeful because you've given us what we need to grow and to experience on this journey greater and greater levels of victory and godliness. Help us to believe that. Help us to embrace that. And Lord, help us to love one another really well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.